Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time to be together and pray that you would bless us in our marriages and uh, future marriages. And I pray that you bless us with a good discussion here and help us to uh, understand what it is to really love uh, our wife as Jesus loves his church and uh, to not be embittered uh, toward them and to know that's a direct command of your word to us. So help us to see that, to understand it, uh, and to uh, be loving, gracious, kind, uh, and to rem- remember our vows and help us to be godly, and that our marriages in themselves would reflect uh, the gospel of your free grace, and, uh, that we would not be uh, selfish, uh, but that we would always put our wife before ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we read chapter 6, hopefully. Um, turn your Bibles to Colossians 3, verse 19. Colossians three nineteen. You have a great passage, and this is kind of the, the theme of, of the chapter, is not being embittered uh, toward our, our wife, but Colossians 3, verse 19. Uh, would someone read that nice and loud? Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them, or as embittered with them. Embittered with them, yes. <laughs> is, that, is that the ESV says harsh? Yeah. Okay, that's a good, that's a good uh, translation of that, of that term. Okay. Um, how many of you actually did read the chapter or read some of it, chapter six? Okay, good. Um, did you like all the anecdotes and the stories and stuff in there? I thought those were real helpful, um, anecdotes and stories. One thing that Priolo really emphasizes there is uh, to husbands, don't invest large amounts of emotional energy over trivial things or disappointments. Uh, remember the thing about toothpaste at the very beginning, you know, I've told her a thousand times to, to roll the toothpaste up and she's squeezing it from the middle and, you know, getting angry about things like that. Uh, if you fly off the handle at little things, yes, even things you've told her many times, the problem is we probably are bitter. We probably have that, that attribute about ourselves. There's probably roots of bitterness in us. And as I was reading through this chapter and then looking at the key passages that he cites, um, this is a really important topic, and I was thinking, this sounds a little, a little like psychobabble. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, what am I going to tell you guys? Like, lay on the couch and tell me about every, every way you've ever been wrong since you were a little kid and, you know, the roots of how you handled that. But this is actually one of the most insightful chapters that I've read so far in the book and just recalling the book. It's really, really useful. So I want to talk about what that word means, do not be um, embittered toward them. It's an unusual term. I think, it's, I think it only occurs three times in uh, the New Testament. Uh, but what is bitterness? Uh, the, the lexicon, the you know, Bauer, Docker, Art, and Gingrich, the big, huge, expensive one you have to buy when you start studying Greek, defines this term in this verse as meaning <clears throat> to cause bitter feelings, to embitter, make bitter, um, to become bitter or embittered. Now, I looked up the word bitter in Noah Webster's 1828 English Dictionary. If you want to know what words actually mean in English, that's the word you need to look them up because that's what they mean. Okay, bitter in Noah Webster's Dictionary from 1828. Sharp, biting to the taste, acrid like wormwood. Sharp, cruel, severe, as in bitter enmity or hatred. Okay, another term, another way is to find sharp to the feeling, piercing, painful, that makes to smart. Y- y'all ever heard the word smart? Like, boy, that really smarted. Okay, you know, my dad used to say that. I didn't, it took a while to figure out what he was saying. 
as a bitter cold day, a bitter blast, painful to the mind, calamitous, poignant, a bitter fate, afflicted, distressed. The, 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 actually, this dictionary cites Exodus one fourteen. The Egyptians made their lives bitter. Okay, there in when the Israelites were enslaved there, hurtful, very sinful. Okay, uh, is an evil and bitter thing. Jeremiah two nineteen. It's it's amazing. One of the things about the eighteen twenty eight Noah Webster dictionary, it's like reading a devotional. Uh, they cite scripture constantly, you know, and it's it's really really get to to the heart of what the words mean. And then the last entry, mournful, distressing, expressive of misery as a bitter complaint or lamentation, Job 23, verse 2. So when Job was in the throes of, of his trials, he was, he was bitter in his complaint because it really hurt. So what the Holy Spirit is telling us here is don't be like that towards your wife. Don't be embittered towards her. It's actually used passively there in Colossians three nineteen. See it there again? Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them or do not be embittered toward them. So all of that stuff, all, all those things there, the Holy Spirit commands us, don't have any of those attitudes towards your wife. Okay, that's a tall order, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's tough. Now, I wanted to read the opening anecdote. I thought it was really good in, in the book. He says this, Frank came home from a late night at the office. After scarfing down his reheated supper, he went upstairs to brush his teeth the moment he opened the vanity drawer and spied the tube of toothpaste that his wife had once squashed in the middle, he flew into a rage. Slamming the drawer closed and flailing his arms, he began verbally accosting his wife in a very loud and irritated tone of voice. That woman, she always, she's always squeezing the toothpaste in the middle. I've asked her a thousand times to roll it up from the end, but she, does she listen to me? Never. I might as well talk to the toothpaste tube itself rather than ask her to do something for me. She's the most pig-headed and inconsiderate woman I've ever met. How would she like it if I ignored her incessant requests? She wouldn't like it one bit. At this point, Frank stops speaking out loud, but continues to muse over the toothpaste tube as he internally plots his revenge. Anyone ever done that? Or did anything to get your wife back about anything? Never? No? Okay. I'll teach her a lesson. She hates it when, I, when anyone forgets to replace the cap on the toothpaste tube. I'm going to leave it off. Tomorrow morning, when she comes in here to brush her teeth, she'll be furious that I forgot to replace the cap, and that will ruin her whole morning. And maybe if I'm lucky, the toothpaste will harden overnight in the neck of the tube, and when she goes to squeeze uh, some out, she won't be able to. And if I'm really fortunate, maybe she'll look into the neck of the tube as she tries to firmly squeeze it, and that little pellet of hardened toothpaste will pop out of the tooth of the toothpaste tube and hit her right between the eyes. Now I ask you, is a squash tube of toothpaste worth expending all that emotional energy on? Hardly. What kind of response does a tube of toothpaste that has been repeatedly squashed in the middle really deserve from us? Okay. Um, if the toothpaste in, uh, incident can't be overlooked altogether, then at the very most, here is all the time, effort, and thought that should be devoted to it. Here's what he's saying you should do. Oh, look at that. She squashed the toothpaste tube in the middle again. I'll have to keep reminding her until she learns how to roll up the tube from the end. Or maybe it's time to invest in a separate tube of toothpaste. And that's it. That, that's what we should do. That's what we should do. It says, Priolo, when you exert inordinate amounts of emotional energy over such trivial disappointments, it's a good indication you may be bitter. What is bitterness and how does a person become bitter? 
Bitterness is the result of responding improperly to hurt. Okay, that's the end of the quotation. What do you guys think of that? I mean, the, the thing he emphasizes and the thing I was thinking about going through this, that passage in Colossians 3.19 says to us, don't be embittered towards your wife. Now, all of us have been hurt throughout our lives, right? From the time we were little kids, people hurt us uh, in various ways, hurt our feelings. I mean, that goes through your younger years into your preteen years, your young adult years, and then into your marriage. You're going to get hurt by people. And a lot of times we develop really unhealthy ways of dealing with that, ways that are not mature uh, in dealing with that. You know, I, I was just telling uh, Patrick, when I was a freshman in high school, I tried out for the soccer team and uh, got cut. And uh, I remember looking at the list with all the guys looking at the list. My name wasn't on the list. And I drove home and punched a hole in the wall. And my dad was very unhappy about that. But that, that's the kind of thing that I had developed, um, anger. If, if you're hurt or you feel slighted, uh, the rage is the, is the answer. And that's very unhealthy. Now, this may have started when we were really young. And as I said, all of us have been hurt by siblings, by parents, um, by church members, friends, coworkers, etc. There's a proper way to respond to hurt, and there's an improper way to respond to it. And if, as young boys, we got hurt by people, whether it was mom, dad, siblings, friends, whoever, if we develop those unhealthy coping mechanisms, those will probably follow us into our marriages. And the key for us is to identify sin patterns and how, in how we coped with our hurt and then learn to put those to death. But before we do all that, all of us need to acknowledge something else, too. I think this is important, and Priola doesn't bring this out as much, but we ourselves have been the ones who have hurt others, too, our whole life. We're not just a bunch of victims. Okay, there are people that we know who developed unhealthy coping mechanisms because of things we did. Okay, so I don't want to give the impression we're all just a bunch of, you know, uh, little, little boys that got hurt, and that's why we have a hard time. We ourselves hurt others, too. Okay, so we're, we're sinners, and we're, we're the ones that cause these kinds of unhealthy responses in others, too. Okay? Um, yes, people have wronged us and sinned against us in our lives, but we also have sinned against others. And the thing is, all of us want to be strong as men, don't we? You, you don't want to be someone who's fragile and someone who's you know, falls apart. We want to be strong. We want to be tough. We want to be manly, which we should be. And all of us still get hurt, no matter how tough we may be. All of us still have feelings, and all of us know what it's like to feel rejected and to feel misunderstood and to feel mistreated because we have been rejected and misunderstood and mistreated. And we have to learn how to respond biblically to hurt, especially in our marriages, because our wife will probably hurt our feelings more than anyone ever has, okay, because you'll be closer to her than you've ever been close to mom, dad, siblings, or friends, or whatever. <clears throat> so all of us get upset in those ways. Um, and if we don't learn how to respond biblically to hurt, then our responses will be sinful patterns of vengeance or anger or things like that. That's what embittered means. Okay? So Paul is well aware of the fact that a lot of times we have these bad habits and they follow us into our marriages. So what do you guys think of that? I thought that was really insightful on Priolo's part to kind of point out. That's really what he's talking about is bitterness. Okay. talking about or mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I was thinking as I was reading that, um, this guy should be on his knees praising God. That's the only problem I've got. <laughs> but it's not. It's probably, yeah, the tail end of a bunch of other things. Yes, sir. Also, the bitterness may not even be, the, the toothpaste may not even be the root of the issue. Sometimes the wives have a, the unfortunate, uh, tar- are unfortunately targets of bitterness or frustration from other things. It says he... He came home late, so he's held over, or he didn't. He had to reheat his food, so he didn't have to enjoy fellowshipping and sitting with his wife and, and mm-hmm. having a supper together. So this could be bitterness, this could be hurt, and uh, or even a feeling of failure. You know, maybe something didn't go what well, and and but our wives unfortunately see us sometimes at our our worst, mm-hmm. and you know, she may just be the target. Yeah, unfortunately, there when that happened. That's a great, great point. Yeah, I think um, I go, go ahead, Neil, Neil, and then John. Probably um, Patricia suffers the most when I'm unhappy with myself <laughs> because I've failed at something, failed to manage my time, or failed in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually just thinking those very kinds of things. There's certain things about my attitude and the way that I am, my own sense of well-being. It dramatically affects how well she's doing, too. It really does. But, John, what were you going to say? Neil, I'm exactly the same way. I think it goes with what you guys are saying. I think identifying the root is really, really important to uncover so you can attack it your own. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you it might be because of, you know, things happen in your life, but one of, I think, a very important Christian worldview principle is that when you sin, it's always your fault, and nobody else can make you sin. Mm -hmm. People can tempt you and influence you to sin, but nobody can make you, and if you can recognize, okay, I have this tendency because this is what I saw my whole life, this is how everybody acted around me, taught me to act this way. It doesn't make it their fault, it's still still on you. that, you know, it's a problem that they, if, if people tempt you, but ultimately it's on you, and then you can recognize, okay, I need to, to attack that, and that's not true, that's not the right way to respond, I can change, and all that. So I think, you know, when we talk about, you know, your your people who mistreated you in your life, the world will say, that's their fault that I'm this way. Uh-huh. Anyway, instead, we should say, okay, that influenced me, and I can change, I don't have to be that way, I'm believing something that's not true, that I picked up from. Yeah. And, my, and I, I've always been responsible for believing the truth and not believing lies. So if I'm believing lies, that's on me. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think that's really, really important to identify the root. Because if it's something stupid, maybe yeah. there is something underneath there that you need to cut, you know, you need mm-hmm. to fight off. So. Yeah, definitely. Very good. Yes, sir. So love covering a multitude of offenses mm-hmm. is what we're really talking about here. I think it's a fair wager to say that toothpaste tube won't be found in your concordance. <laughs> That's so right. it's it's not even a named. Um, I heard a very good illustration from a, a, a sermon uh, from uh, Woodruff Rose down in South Carolina. He'd always ask his wife, "Don't put the hangers on the doorknob." Because can't see him in the dark and the clatters and he was just this person was just getting more and more angry because she kept forgetting and the, and the 
finally he's just thought, I'm approaching this all wrong. I'm thinking about this all wrong. Instead, I'm going to hear that noise and treat it as chimes reminding me to pray for my wife. Uh, that's brilliant. Problem solved. <laughs> Wow, who who's who was the? This was in a sermon by a guy named Dan Dodds. Okay. It was on uh, the fruit of the spirit of patience. I'm gonna use that illustration eventually. That's a great illustration. Wow. Hmm. That's moving. That's good. Is is that's right? Isn't it interesting that depending on your your attitude, your disposition, something can be either annoying or endearing. Yeah. It's the same yep. exact thing. See, and isn't that the very thing that the Holy Spirit is assuming in that, that text there in, in Colossians 3.19? You'll, there will be things that could easily cause you to become embittered. And he just says, don't. The Holy Spirit, I mean, I just was looking at that, and that's, this is an imperative. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be bitter towards them. Don't react harshly to them. They're going to sin against you in all kinds of ways. Don't do that. And I just love how black and white, you know, I like, I don't like gray anything, but that's black and white. Don't do it. We're we're told, you know, just listening to you guys talk, just thinking about one of my pet peeves. And it's a pet peeve that makes me want to drive my forehead through a brick wall. When she gives the kids food in the cars and there's stuff ground into the seats and there's stuff like there's open ketchup things on the floor and I've said it would mean a lot to me uh, on a personal level <laughs> if you would not. It's like driving along, it's like you just throw stuff back there and like they just all gobble it up and then, and then it's everywhere. But then, you know, just listen to this. Okay, who wants to live in a museum anyway, right? Um, do the cars really need to be that clean? I mean, it's nice if they're, if they're clean, but if there's food and Amy had a few moments of peace because the troops are eating stuff, Okay, that should be okay with me. I need to not let that get to me. But that, so that this was is a good. big thing with my dad is you don't eat in the car. Yeah. And that simply practically would not work. Yeah. And I mean, you all were very, very neat. And so that, that helped greatly. But I just realized I can't get upset about that. Yeah. Um, okay. One, one more thing. Anybody here has the issue of her hair is every place. (laughs) (laughs) Those are little bits of her glory. Mm, That's what the the scripture describes. A woman's Mm -hmm. hair is her covering, her glory. Mm. And you have little reminders of that. um, That in the bathroom or wherever. Mm -hmm. Think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Because if she's if she were to go because mm. of death or whatever, we wouldn't be there. Yeah. And you would miss it. They're still glorious even if they're in the drain in the shower. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. When they bunch up on the ground, your wife screams because she thinks it's a spider. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs>
situations like this are very humbling to me because it's ironic as a leader you're doing the very thing that you should have zero tolerance for correcting yeah. something that you shouldn't ever have zero tolerance for mm-hmm. so it's ironic you're cultivating the very thing that you shouldn't ever allow in the household while attacking something that's just fine yeah. so I'm curious if you all who been around the block a few times like what how do you distinguish between the zero tolerance and how do you quickly as a leader say how do I actually focus on what should be stopped right then and there whether it's my response or maybe somebody else's response instead mm-hmm. of focusing on Neil said like you know a piece of hair on the ground this is mm-hmm. this is not the issue here yeah well, I think, like, the toothpaste thing, like Priola said, he should say something. Just don't do it. Don't be mean about it. It's the same thing with, you know, if there's food and stuff in the car. They actually haven't been doing that as much because I've asked her not to do that. And um, But once in a while, I'll still look, look in there, and it's, um, were the kids eating something in there? Instead of, sweetheart, remember I told you this? There's a way of doing it that is patient and over, overlooks sin, so we should be as gracious towards her and towards the, the kiddos about stuff like that um, every single time. There's not going to be like the one time that's going to push me over the edge and have a harsh response. I think that's the main thing being said there is as you do correct stuff that needs to be corrected, the way we, we do it is as um, entirely self-controlled, level-headed, voice control, gentleness, you know. Yes, and right. It was mm-hmm. like, I told him over and over not to do that. <laughs> we would probably be dead, wouldn't we? Yeah, <laughs> like 15 seconds of existence. Yeah, God would strike us down. <laughs> well, yeah. there the principle versus preference thing. Mm-hmm. It's a biblical principle that you can't waver on, but if it's just a preference, I right. prefer that the toothpaste be pushed from the bottom instead of the Right. Yeah, if there's a flagrant, you know, something that's really, really vile or evil, or if your kids do something that's like deceptive or whatever, yeah, you you have to ratchet up. You can you can be more stern in your response, um, but still you can also provoke them. Remember, Ephesians six says the same thing. You know, fathers raise your children in the discipline and nurture of the Lord, and and there's another passage that says don't provoke them to anger. So no matter what it is, even if it is something real serious, all the our reaction to it can just pile on more sin rather than being even keeled uh, about it. <clears throat> so, I ever told you guys the, the silver bullet moments about my dad? I was thinking about, oh, I'll tell you the, the dumbest thing I ever did in my life. I tried to get away from a cop once when I was 20, and I did it. I succeeded. I, I lost him in my neighborhood. Unfortunately, I was driving a 1972 American Motors Hornet, which he got a good look at. And he drove around our neighborhood until he saw that car. And he comes to the door at 2 in the morning and knocks on the door. Um, I need to speak with your son. My dad comes back to my bedroom. I was sound asleep. He's like, there's, uh, there's cops here that want to see you. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So he takes me out. Man, he put me in the back of the car. I didn't have any criminal record, nothing. So he just chewed me out. I begged him to show me mercy. He just gave me a citation for speeding. And um, he told me. I can tell that that man is about to kill you. And that's the only reason I'm not taking you to jail. I was like, <laughs> I was like thank you. 
So I went back in the house, and my mom and dad are sitting in the living room. My mother went off. She was so upset at me. But I didn't even care about her. My dad was sitting over in his chair, and he wasn't saying a word, nothing. My mom's just just going off on me. We raised you better than that. Just absolutely laying into me. My dad said one sentence. And I could tell, like, as I reflected on this later, he was sitting there thinking about what was the best thing to say. What was what's the one thing I could say that's going to accomplish what I want to accomplish. So he's just sitting there looking at the floor. And then my mom finally is, finally is quiet. And so it's like a couple minutes of dead silence. He looks up at me and says, Patrick, when I saw the police lights on two cars in my driveway, I thought they were here to tell me you were dead. He's like, let's go. He said to my mother and then went to bed. Never spoke about it again. I sat in that living room and just cried and thought, what a pathetic excuse for a son you are. And I remember thinking, I will never embarrass my dad again. I will never do anything like that again. And it was funny because the next day and the day after, it never came up. He never said anything, not a word. That one sentence, it was like a silver bullet through the heart. And I, I was thinking, what would I do if something like that happened? You know, and things like that actually, you know, have happened. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was a that was a brilliant moment on on his part. He he could have, you know, la- laid into me. You know, my mother was less, you know, self control, but I could tell he he was thinking this is a pivotal moment. I got to I got to make the most of this situation, and I was very thankful that it was very level headed. He didn't raise his voice at all, but that had the biggest impact uh, on me that he did that the way he did. So. So those moments like that, even if it is something big, that can be used too if we're not bitter in the way we respond to it. So, okay. Um, all right, let's look at another passage. Turn to Hebrews twelve fourteen to 16. This is a great one here because along the lines of, of bitterness here, this is a, another really important text of Scripture, especially the, the middle phrase of verse 15, but would someone read, read verses 14 through 16, and then we'll look at, at that phrase in verse 15 there. Hebrews 12, 14 to 16. Okay. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the one to come. Wrong, wrong chapter. Where, where are you? Hebrews 12? Oh, I'm in Hebrews 13. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. That's, good. That's a good passage, though. But. <laughs> <laughs> Hebrews 12, 14 to 16. Pursue peace with all men. The sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Seeing to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it may be defiled. That also there be no sexually immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Okay. So we pursue peace with all people, of course, especially with you know our wife, the one that we're married to and live with and have that one flesh bond with. But we're, we're told to pursue that, pursue peace and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest also any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. Okay, so think about bitterness as something that has roots. Isn't that an interesting image? It's like a plant. And if you read the chapter, Priolo talks, goes through a, a number of illustrations of Ways that we can react to hurt that are kind of like pouring water on those, those roots, pouring water on seeds that can become roots of bitterness. And uh, listen, listen to this illustration he uses. 
He says, bitterness is the, is the result of responding improperly to hurt. The scripture likens bitterness to a root, and roots have to be planted. So let me ask you, here he's asking all of us, what is the seed that, when planted in your heart, sprouts into a root of bitterness? It is a hurt. When someone hurts you, it's as if he drops a seed under the soil of your heart. You can choose to respond to that hurtful seed in two ways. You can either reach down and pluck the seed by pluck the seed up by quickly forgiving your offender. That's usually the issue. If we forgive quickly, it's not going to have time to germinate and start putting down deeper roots or whatever. If we learn to be gracious and forgiving quickly, then bitterness is just not going to be part of our character. You know, we're going we're to quickly forgive others and not, not be vengeful like that. You can choose to respond to that hurtful seed in two ways. You can either reach down and pluck up the seed by quickly forgiving your offender, or you can begin to cultivate the seed by reviewing the hurt over and over in your mind. Y'all ever done that? When I was young, I did that a lot. There were people I hated. I mean, I went to public school. I went to a high school with 2,000 people. There are people in that school that I wanted to see get hurt and stuff like that, that people that had wronged me or guys I played sports against that I didn't like. Um, and just thinking about reviewing stuff. I used to have dreams about stuff like that. That's terrible. That, that is so bad for our character to think that way about, about other people. I mean, think about it. You don't need to nod or anything, but are there people that in your past, in your life, that you've hated? Yeah, that have really hated. That's one thing my father told me Like when he first came to know Christ. He said that was one of the things God dealt with in his heart was, he's like, son, there were people in my life I would have hurt if I could have gotten away with it. And I had to learn to let go of that. I had to learn to, to forgive and let, not let those kinds of things rule uh, my life. That can be a cause of real trouble in our marriage relationship. If we're, if we're the kind of person that hangs on to stuff like that, hangs on to wrongs, um, especially if they're real personal and make us feel less than men or something like that, that can be a huge issue uh, for us. Okay, he goes on there. <clears throat> um, bitterness is the result of dwelling too long on a hurt is the result of not truly forgiving an offender. Now, listen, listen to this, okay. Um, Sam went into marriage assuming that his wife, Laura, would be interested in intimacy as frequently as he desired. At first, she seemed to be, but soon after the honeymoon, things began to change. Her desire seemed to be diminishing. <clears throat> Laura would often be too tired uh, or would have some reason for not participating. She hardly ever initiated. When she did, it was very passive. Days would turn into weeks. One Saturday morning, um, he tries to initiate, and she's not interested. And he bolts out of the bed, throws his clothes down, stomps downstairs, and is fuming over, over his disappointment. So what, what's wrong with that? That's a bitter response, isn't it? What? Yeah. Yep, that's right. See, the thing is, when it comes to that part of your marriage, that, that's an important part of your marriage. It's a real important part of your marriage. Um, but like uh, Jim just said, we are to be focused primarily on the other. It's, okay, it's very easy for something that is, everything is good and right about it to become idolatrous to us. If that's our response to that, 
then something that's good has become a source of, of uh, really idolatry to us. If it causes us to become bitter in the way we respond rather than to communicate. And that's really what Pruill is emphasizing. We have to be the, the rock of self-control like in the home. We're the ones that's, that are stable. We're not rattled by stuff. We're, we got to be the ones that are, that are anchored. You know, and one, thing, one of my kids said something. It was like a dagger to my soul because it, it's true. They said, you are more affected by stuff than mom is. And I was like, okay, why don't you just emasculate me all the way? Okay, <laughs> grief. Um, but they were right. She is not rattled. But her, her background had a lot more trauma, a lot more hardship in it than mine did. So when we've gone through real big things, really, really difficult things, like the thing with, um, with Malachi having you know, type 1 diabetes, that just crushed me. I was just devastated. And she's like, you know, always even keeled and God will get us through this and everything's cool and fine and everything. And my older kids see it. And they're like, you're the one who's like crazy emotional. Mom's like the rock. I'm like, no, see, I am cool. I am fine. <laughs> but I'm like, kids, I'm working on it. All right. I'm working on it. But that's the way we have to be. I mean, it's, it's easy to react that way, but that, that's because of the, the roots of bitterness are in there. And we have to learn how to root those out. Um, and learn to really trust in the providence of God. And that's the thing is like, yeah, you know, Dad, you're great at teaching on God's decrees and his absolute sovereignty and meticulous sovereignty over everything. But when trials happen, you suddenly become an Arminian. It's like you, it's like you really don't believe this stuff. I'm like, no, 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 I, I really do. Um, but we're all works in progress. We're getting better and getting better. Um, but there's going to be these things that really test us and really try us. We have to learn not to react um, in, in a hot-headed way like that, because that's how we become embittered toward our wife. Okay? So, yes, sir? I think that, depending on your personality, some of the, like the example that you just read, like that could be one response with the toothpaste, that could be one response. Mm-hmm. But there could also be embittered response that's a lot more subtle and internal and just very, very, you know, slight, Oh, yeah. Um, you know, just like, a slight change in your expression about things or and and you carry that with you longer mm-hmm. because it doesn't blow up mm-hmm. and so you there's less chance to talk about it so i think that can be a especially for different personalities yeah can be a, a real the slow burn yeah yeah more passive aggressive or um yeah, if, if that needs not being met, you know, you know, typically your wife needs a lot of affection, needs words and things, needs to be like hugged and held in a in a non-sexual way so she knows that you love her. You might withhold some of that a little bit, knowing that that gets to her some. See, this is this is like the true measure of, of a man. You still are going to be every bit as gracious and loving and affectionate and do the, the chores around the house that you're supposed to do the way that she likes it, whether she's meeting those needs or not, whether she's kind of holding up her end of, of what she knows you need or, or want or not. We're, we're still, we got to be the ones that are consistent, not embittered. We don't react to stuff like that. This is tough stuff, isn't it? <laughs> this is not for the faint of heart. Yes, sir. Off of what Jonathan was just saying, just in mind that um, if you're going to overlook something, you have to actually overlook it because you can yourself, I'm overlooking at this, really just a very subtle, growing bitterness that eventually leads to a bigger reaction. Maybe not the moment that something happens, but maybe like a week later or something. Mm-hmm. So 
So it's a delayed blow up, which is just as bad. That's stupid. That's <laughs> just as stupid. So the if you're gonna let something go, you have to actually let it go. Mm -hmm. And I'll add to that. It, sometimes I, I'll even if if I'm bitter about something, sometimes I'll tell myself that I'm over it and kind of like try to overcompensate by doing too many good things and expecting, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And then that's just kind of feeding fuel to the fire because then I'm like, oh, but I did all this stuff and, you know, yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's just, the, the bitterness was never, we're still there. I, I just, yeah. you know, right and, actions, wrong motive. Exactly. Yeah, right, right. And I think one of the keys to this too is if we are hurt, the, the, the key is don't react in a, in a bitter way or, or fly off the handle. But communicate. You do need to share that this hurt me. And like I said, guys, you got to get rid of the, all the, the tough guy stuff. Like we have to learn. Like I did a, um, a sermon, Jim, Jim Baird. I was like, what is this? The sermon title was Loving Emotionally. I'm like, it's for you, brother. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, I know you need to work on your emotions. <clears throat> but that is an important biblical concept is being able to vocalize like things that, that really do bother you, really hurt you or make you feel a certain way. We have to be able to talk about how we feel um, with our wife. She really wants you to do that. And so that's a skill that if we haven't done that well, like throughout our lives where we just kind of held everything back, that's something we got to work on and be able to do in a, in a, a mild-mannered, you know, self-controlled way. It's hard to do that sometimes if you're amped up emotionally. Um, but that's part of, of being a man, is learning how to keep that under, under control, under wraps, and being uh, gracious in the way you do it. So, yes, sir. Um, so, several times we've mentioned idolatry. We've mentioned things that we're just idolizing. And yeah. some people think that the verse in Hebrews refers back to, like, Deuteronomy chapter 29. Um Verse 17, and you have seen their detestable things, their idols and beauty stones, silver and gold, which are among them. Beware, lest there be among you a woman, a man or a woman, or clan or tribe, whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this one covenant, blesses himself in his heart and says, I shall be saved, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, um, whether it's the general apostasy that's the subject of the whole book of Hebrews, mm -hmm. or all the little apostasies, all the little ways in which we idolize a particular thing and are going to insist on it when we shouldn't. Right. Um, the, the other phrase that Patricia gave me once, which I hope will be helpful, is bitterness is the poison you drink, hoping it'll kill the other person. <laughs> That's a great one. It really points out how foolish it is. It is, yeah. That's a good insight there, Deuteronomy 29, where there are the covenant curses, you know, that, that whole uh, context there. But yeah, it really, it, bitterness really is the, is the thing that grows in a heart that is overrun with idolatry, just, just like that. 
So, yeah, if we react real harshly or, or whatever, that that's just a clear indication we're really not we're not delighting ourselves in God and, and worshiping and uh, being satisfied in Him. But that isn't that the struggle like every day of life is. Um, we still have this rebellious tendency that's in our hearts all the time, even as Christians, as regenerate people, and that's where the battle is, is that. So if we re- react negatively, that's a reflection of, of us not walking intimately with God. So, One of the things he, he brings up um, is like this list of stuff uh, mm-hmm. that you can identify in your marriage. And one of the ones that really hit me was, was angry children mm. and I know I've recognized in myself, or I guess in our kids, is sometimes like when things aren't going right between you know me and Hannah, we can see it in our kids. We can see yeah. that they're you know biting back to us, and it's just I mean they're they're like little mirrors. Yeah. And so it's it's it helps me be like hypersensitive hmm. to realize that like it's not just affecting her. Yeah. 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 They notice everything about your yeah. relationship with each other too. They're they're watching that. So, yeah, that list, actually cut and paste that whole list into here, like, um, evidences that there might be bitterness there in our marriage relationship, frequent arguments, outbursts of anger, withdrawal, okay, diminished affection um, and intimacy, sarcasm, if we're sarcastic in, in a kind of a nasty way, acts of vengeance, you know, doing things, whether it's aggressively or passively aggressively, more subtle to try to get back condescending communication, criticism, suspicion, hypersensitivity, okay, um, intolerance, impatience, misuse of authority, lack of kindness and sympathy, uh, lack of social interaction with others as a couple, lack of respect, loss of companionship, okay? angry children was the last thing in, in that list there. So those are, that's a real good, helpful list to kind of look through and see. Now, no, no one's marriage relationships are perfect, but you'll see if there are, if one of those or a few of those are kind of a big, a big deal, that's probably an indication there's things that need to be uprooted. Yes, sir. Um, one of the things I I've kind of have a theory on as far as conflict resolution, dealing with things like bitterness and hurt, and is where, how and when you deal with conflict and disagreement and sometimes if you feel like an obligation to resolve those things away from your children, mm-hmm. but Desi and I had, uh, had talked about it and we thought, you know, even, even when those things, as long as you're not over the top, if you're able to control yourself, which you should mm-hmm. be able to, mm-hmm. um, even if it's emotionally heated, you should resolve those issues and talk about and, and seek uh, reconciliation even in front of the, your children because uh, I've, I've seen a lot of people say, you know, we don't argue in front of our children, and they never then see that reconciliation. Yeah. They never see that, and, and then therefore they grow up into relationships where they have those same disputes and have those same troubles, mm-hmm. and they don't know that, you know, their parents went through the same thing, and it's mm-hmm. human nature, and you should seek to resolve and to get rid of that bitterness and to deal with it, and then instead they go down this path of bitterness. But yeah. I think there is, is some wisdom or, or, or at least um, it helps prevent. And you also have to look your children in the eye when you say, I'm, you know, your mother and I, we, we, we work things out. We're husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, while we're human and we have differences and we have sin that we have to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. we are 
we are going to resolve those things and work through them. And you can't just be like, oh, well, we uh, we still, you know, we, we planted a little seed of bitterness. We've swept some, some dirt over it, but we planted a little seed. We put it on the back burner. No, you have to look them in the eye, and they know whether it's been resolved or not. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mason, your, your children are not fooled by anything. Yeah. That's the thing that's amazing is their, their insight and their discernment capacity. But I think that's a really important point, what, what Ethan just said. Is it's important for you, the kids to see, here's how mature a Christian adults um, disagree about something and have a fruitful exchange and come to a resolution on it. Or, or admit sin, if there's been sin involved um, in things that you've done or she's done. It's real important that they see that. Here's how this has worked out in a godly marriage. So, so if you know you're not going to be mature about it, go to the bedroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go so somewhere else. If, 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 you're yeah. gonna get, if, it's gonna get, if you feel like you're on a, an emotional level where you can't control and you're going to lash out or go in, then you know, that's a, a deeper issue. But, yeah, you shouldn't be you know, throwing things, this, that, and the other, and lashing out, calling names. But if you're just impassionately uh, hurt... You're, you're both uh, feel passionately about something, and you're going to work through a disagreement. Yeah, I mean, you may there may be voices raised, but it's good that they see that as you know resolution, and that you seek to not entrench yourself in your own opinion or your own stance, but your you know just as we are to be brought back in communion with with God with mm-hmm. Jesus and, and Jesus, you know sacrifice for that we should strive to be brought back into communion as husband and wife hmm. yeah that's good and it's good for them to see that's one thing i i should probably make copies of it my dad had written um wrote a paper for me when he was 58 years old called lessons i've learned in 58 years on planet earth it's really really insightful stuff but one thing he said when you disagree with your wife or when you have a fight um fight fair don't bring up the past and stay on the topic. And he's right about that. And if you're calm and cool, collected, you can resolve things well. You don't want, you know, your children, not not only because you don't want them to see it, but it's because it's wrong. If you say things that the, the purpose of that behind them is not to bring resolution and understanding, but to hurt, uh, that's really bad. That's really bad. If we if we are doing that, then, you know, we're really, we're really doing a face plan as husbands. Then if we say things and the sole purpose is to hurt or cut, you know, that's really bad. So, I mean, that shows there's, there's like, it's way more than just toothpaste we're talking about here. There's something real, we have a real problem we've got to deal with. So, okay, uh, we'll go just a few more minutes here. He, he then walks through a couple of passages, um, it's it's almost hard to read them. Matthew eighteen, the parable about the um, the the one the one servant that owed ten thousand talents. <laughs> I mean, you love how Jesus just you know makes the point over the top. Remember, and then someone owes him less than a third day's wages, and he just will not forgive that that debt after he had a debt that no one could possibly ever pay, canceled by his master. Um, and then the master comes back in there in Matthew eight. Actually, let's look at it together. We'll, we'll close here. There were a few more things. Please do look at that. There's also another list. <sighs> just There's another list at the end. Should I remember that? The other one about um, things that are actually good that we that our wife is duty-bound to do, like be respectful to us and everything else. But if we fly off the handle, if our response is bitterness or anger when they don't happen, 
That's our problem. If, if she's sinning in those ways, if she's not respectful, not submissive, not a good helper, if she's constantly challenging my, my decisions, if she won't um, manage, like if she spends too much money, um, if she you know, is too much of a people pleaser and all these good things, if these evoke a, a raging response, that's our problem. Okay. So, but look at Matthew 18, 21, Matthew 18, 21. We'll read this and then we'll, we'll close. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I say to you, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Do we ever do that with the, that dear wife that we married? Like we've been forgiven 10,000 talents, but she slights us in, in one way and needs our forgiveness and us to overlook it. But it's, I will not. You're going to prison until you pay the debt. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant? I mean, put your wife there. Shouldn't you also have compassion on your wife just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Okay, meaning you'll fall under his fatherly displeasure. Okay, God, God takes that seriously. If we're, if we're not gracious to you know, the person that we vow before God and witnesses to be the most gracious to, then it's not that he's going to disown us, but that does um, provoke the fatherly paddle, shall we say, to come down upon us. So, so let's not be bitter. So always remember Colossians 3.19. It's such an interesting little, little verse, and yet there's so much in that. Don't be bitter towards her. Don't react in a bitter way towards anything that she does that's wrong. Okay, any other insights or wisdom? Yes, sir. Uh, just to add to the illustration of bitterness being like a root, mm-hmm. uh, if anybody has done landscaping and had to remove a stump or something that, you know, it takes work and perseverance and persistence, uh, it's not something that's just easily dealt with. It takes time and that's such a good illustration trees are a good illustration like how, depending on how long the tree's been growing and how deep the roots are yeah it's not like you know we're going to do a bible studying okay all right i'll uproot my bitterness this afternoon um, it's going to take work. It takes time, and it takes communication, accountability, Bible study. So, one person 
sometimes. I'm sorry? It takes more than one person yeah. to pull the roots up. That's right. That's a very creeping root. Your bitterness creeps under, pops back up, causes her bitterness, creeps yeah. back down, causes your bitterness again. So. Yeah. And they grow like four feet a day. <laughs> yeah. There's a tree. Uh, I go, go ahead, Luke. Oh, I, was, I was just going to say that I think for me, something that's been really helpful in dealing with those deep seated things that you bring into marriage, like frustration and bitterness, is to consistently each and every day pray for continued repentance and hatred for those sins. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, make that part of your daily prayer. Like, don't miss a day of praying for that specific thing. And over time, God will grant that prayer, and you will begin to truly, really despise and hate that sin, and you'll move from it. Yeah, that's important, because the reason we still do certain sins is because we, we don't hate them as much as we should. So, and that's, it's good to ask God, create a hatred of this in, in my heart, because it's, I don't hate it enough. a cherry tree on our property when that house when we first bought it and the cherry tree was dead and our neighbor, my neighbor was having tree work done and uh, he asked me do you want me to cut, tell him just cut that tree down I said yeah sure so they cut the cherry tree down and then someone saw it can I, can I drag that off your lot I'm going to make it into furniture I'm like yes you can have the cherry tree but the stump was left there it took me about eight years to get that stump out of the ground I drilled holes in it and put that stuff that's supposed to rot it and everything. That didn't work because the, the cherry wood is so hard. And so I eventually took a shovel and was digging under it and built fires underneath it. <laughs> and it took years of doing that. I would go out there and hit it with a maul if I was mad about something. Just hit it with a maul for a while. <laughs> Did that for years and years and years. And just thinking, that's like a sin that started, you know, when you were like seven, eight years old. And it's just been like in there getting the, its roots past the barb into your soul, you know. But, yeah, a, a tree is a great illustration. Um, the, the, the Bible uses that illustration, roots of bitterness. So those are things we, we need to work on and make sure we don't react harshly. We communicate as self-controlled men, but not harshly to the way our wives might let us down or sin against us. So, all right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these men, and um, we pray that you would help us to see Colossians 3 and 19 in, in action um, to, to love our wife and not be embittered toward them, not to respond harshly or sinfully uh, to anything that they ever do, um, but to be, to be the, the stable one, to be the, the, the rock who's always uh, solid um, because we're standing on that foundation of your word, your truth. And we pray that you would help us to be consistent and being kind, sweet, loving. Thank you for being forgiving and merciful and gracious to us um, as we uh, sin in various ways in our marriages. But, Lord, we want to be more complete as husbands, and I pray that those here that one day will be husbands, that they will remember the things they've heard here and remember what these passages of Scripture say. So help us, Lord, to be Christ-like, uh, to be gracious, uh, and to never be, be bitter toward our wife. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you.